Shirley MacLaine once said, The more I traveled, the more I realized that fear makes strangers of people who should be friends. And James Mishner noted that if you reject the food, ignore the customs, fear the religion, and avoid the people, you might better stay at home. It's Travel Month on the podcast. hostess. This podcast is for the data nerd and the data nervous. I take a look at what's real and what is not, what is true and what is false. Truth-telling through research and education. Curiosity required. I hope to do with the podcast is focus on a particular and specific topic each month, with each week a variation on the theme. It's July, which is summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. We've been cooped up for a couple of years because of COVID, and we want to spread our wings. Oh, the places we'll go, as Dr. Seuss says. This month, I will talk to several people about travel and the importance of opening your heart, mind, and soul as you discover or rediscover new or familiar places. If you are a regular listener, thank you again, you may recall that I did a podcast last summer about travel. I focused on who travels, why, where, and how. I want to talk about why I travel and why I think travel is so important for everyone. I like to go everywhere. You don't have to. Even if you visit the next town, you've traveled. There's so much to see and experience no matter where you go. I would like to highlight some of my favorite travel destinations and why, and pepper in some data. I will ask you, my listeners, questions here and on social media. I hope you engage with me. I want to know how you travel, where you go, why, who, and what you encounter. I want to know it all. Why? Because I'm curious, and curiosity is required here. My first travel memories are of Newfoundland, Canada. My mother is from Newfoundland, so every three to four years or so in the summer, my siblings and I would go. We would spend most of the summer months there, and my dad would join us for a week or so in August. At least that's my memory. Newfoundland is one of my favorite places in the world. It is incredibly rugged and wild, but profoundly beautiful. The people make the place in Newfies are some of the most fun, affable, affectionate, caring people you will meet. Now, if you're Canadian, You know that people make fun of Newfies in much the way some tell Polish jokes. Neither is okay, but I raise that because that's usually what people think of when they think of Newfoundland. Now, they do speak English there, or a dialect that includes English. I bought a Newfie dictionary some years ago just for fun. I mean, my mom is from there, so I've been used to hearing her dialect because she never lost her accent. And certainly talking with my aunts and uncles and cousins, you know, I'm very good at deciphering and interpreting what people are saying. I don't have trouble understanding it. However, it can be difficult for other people. So I thought I would just share a couple of common phrases you may hear. Now, here's the caveat. I do not do accents well at all. So you're going to hear these phrases spoken in my Western New York accent, trying to do a Newfie accent so you can giggle. That's completely fine by me. But here are a couple phrases that you may hear. And I'm going to tell you this. Newfie's don't like long words. So they will take a long word and shorten it. Even words that aren't really so long. It's almost like they have so many 
syllables that they can use or so many letters or something. It's like a quota. It's so interesting. But at any rate, so a couple of phrases. Yes, boy. What odds? And yes, boy, but none. So now what did I say? Yes, boy, or yes, me dear, is something that you might hear them say as we might say, well, of course, sure, yes, absolutely. What odds? We might say, who cares? What's this about? And yes, boy, but narn is sure, but I don't have any. Nary a one becomes narn. So um, I will post the link to um, the site where I found those particular phrases. However, you know, I encourage you, if you can get to Newfoundland, honestly, it's fabulous. And be sure you pack the dictionary because you will have, you may have trouble. If you're not used to the dialect, it can be incredibly difficult. But back to Newfoundland, summer was incredibly carefree when we would be there. Now, if you know the geography in Canada, Newfoundland is one of the maritime provinces. It is in the North Atlantic. It is cold. So I think the hottest it would ever get would be in the 70s. And when it got into the 70s, all of my Newfie cousins would all be wearing shorts and the rest of us, you know, from New York are still wearing jeans and things. And another quirk in Newfoundland, the island, because the province of Newfoundland is actually Newfoundland and Labrador. And Labrador is on the mainland, is in the mainland of Canada. It is in the Atlantic time zone plus a half hour. So if you listen to Canadian radio, they will tell you, oh, it's, you know, seven o'clock, but 7.30 on the island of Newfoundland. It's kind of an interesting little quirk that uh, they're on the half hour. Um, and you might just say those who live on the island, boy, they sure do march to the beat of their own drum. And I say that with the most respect because I love my, my Newfie relatives. But we would swim in some of the local ponds, not in the ocean, I mean, holy hypothermia. We'd hang out with kids our age, We'd pout when we had to come in at night, which I'm sure every kid did in the summer when they had to do it. It was really idyllic. I actually had my first kiss in Newfoundland, and we're still Facebook friends. Ah, oh, memories. Now, my sister has been given strict instructions to have me cremated when I die. I mean, not before, because that would be creepy, painful, and illegal. So after I die, she's going to have me cremated, and then she's going to toss my ashes off the cliff where my mother grew up, and it's called the head because it's the head of the cove or the head of the peninsula and it's absolutely beautiful it's stunning it's breathtaking it's the north atlantic and i imagine once she tosses my ashes that the clouds will part rays of sun will hit the water whales and dolphins will frolic fish will jump into the boats of fishermen yep now i went to northern ireland and ireland several years ago and it reminded me so much of newfoundland which shouldn't be a surprise to those nerds among us who know a thing or two about geology and tectonics Remember that way back, low 280 to 230 million years ago, all seven continents comprised one supercontinent called Pangaea. Now, Ireland, while not next to Newfoundland, was pretty close and certainly had geologic similarities. Also, many residents of modern-day Newfoundland would be descendants of folks from Ireland and Great Britain. Let me segue into the discussion of Ireland and Northern Ireland. I was able to visit both just over a decade ago with students from my university. I love the idea of this sort of trip and would love to develop trips like this on my own. So look for them, listeners. You'd be welcome to come. It was a conflict trip. We heard from people on both sides of the Troubles. And I'm using air quotes around Troubles because only the British would have such a quaint name for what was essentially a bit of a civil war. Uh, Catholics and Protestants spoke to our students, each from their own perspective. Before going to Ireland, 
I did do some of my own research on the Troubles, and I had joked with someone here in the U.S. that I had never met an Irish Protestant in the U.S. Well, that's because the Catholics were essentially persecuted in Ireland. Now, of course, the Protestants will tell you a different story. The idea behind trips like this is so that you may decide for yourself. You should approach the situation with an open mind. And to be fair, and I'm ashamed to admit this, I knew next to nothing about the Troubles except what you too had to sing about them. It was eye-opening, and I encourage you to take a look around at history and talk to people. For example, I chatted with the bartender in our hotel in Belfast. Yes, I had a few drinks. Judge me if you will. I was asking him questions that he was actually quite reluctant to answer because he was Catholic, and Catholics are sort of lesser-class citizens. And this is a good decade after the Good Friday Accords of 1998 that essentially brought peace to the country. He was Catholic, was explaining to me how you can tell who's on which side, and it comes down to names. You can determine Catholic versus Protestant based on names, and he meant actual names of people, but also what they call certain towns and cities. So, for example, a Protestant will call the city Londonderry, while a Catholic will call it Derry. Now, one of my favorite words is we, W-E-E, as in, oh, what a wee man, if I was talking about fairy folk or a short dude. I would see and hear it everywhere in Ireland from place names to eavesdropped conversations. And every time I'd giggle like I was four years old. We were also in Belfast where the Titanic was built. They had just opened the Titanic Museum when I was there. I didn't go because all the students were going. And at a certain point in the trip, you know, you want to let the students have their own thing and you want to go do something different. But what I thought was so funny is they had a t-shirt. I almost bought this t-shirt that read Titanic. She was fine when she left. Also, there was a Thai food restaurant that was never open, and I was bothered because I was hoping to go in and see if they had a t-shirt or something, and they called themselves Titanic, and they spelled it T-H-A-I, so Thai-Tanic. So apparently I have an Irish sense of humor. And whoever said the Irish can't cook or don't have good food hasn't eaten in Ireland because, boy, I sure had my fill. And the pubs, oh my goodness, what fun, the music, the people, all of it. The history, also fantastic. I think some of our buildings here in the U.S. are old when they're from the 18th century, but we're talking 14th century and older in Ireland and much of Europe, which makes my home built in 1869 seem positively modern. I'm also a huge fan of water in the ocean, and nearly everywhere we were in Ireland was in view of the ocean, just like Newfoundland when I visit. The the trip with students to Ireland no longer takes place, but I would like to resurrect it for anyone. It is so incredibly worthwhile. So I do study conflict. Conflict resolution is part of what I want to focus on on the podcast. So I really do want to start some of these trips where we are hearing both sides or more if there are more sides to the story so that you really do have a chance to do some of the homework and some of the reading on your own ahead of the trip, but then hear the stories because... There's so much more to research and so much more to data than just what you're seeing on a page. It really does matter that you talk to people and that you interpret what they have to say and that you take that in and soak all of that in, the culture and the history and, and, and all of those pieces. So now that we've been to Newfoundland, we've been to Ireland and Northern Ireland, where should we go next? Let's go to China. I have to admit, again, I'm going to admit a lot of things. I knew next to nothing about China, and that really pisses me off. I had what I believe to be an excellent education throughout, from kindergarten all the way up through graduate school. 
I was also a nerd. <laughs> Listen to me saying that like it's the past tense. Let me correct that. I am a nerd. In middle and high school, I remember learning that Asia, Africa, and South America were continents. That's about the extent of what we learned about Asia, Africa, and South America. Other than, oh, here's some of the countries that are in those continents. We also, I mean, we did learn about Egypt, so I will say that. So apparently we learned about Western culture and the pyramids. My education has changed so much. My knowledge has grown. And why? Curiosity. That's another theme. You'll see that everywhere. So China was another trip that I took with students. We went to Shanghai, Xi'an, and Beijing. And we were there essentially on a business trip, learning about doing business in China, which was incredibly eye-opening. One of my favorite visits was with Procter & Gamble. Now, Procter & Gamble is the maker of Crest toothpaste, so we were given different flavored toothpastes to try. Now, what flavor toothpastes do we have here in the U.S.? Mint, mostly. Perhaps cinnamon. What did we get in China? Green tea. Green tea toothpaste. It was a very interesting flavor, but not surprising if you know anything about Asian culture. It was also fascinating to learn how they do market research in China. Here in the States, we might do a focus group or send a survey. In China, you don't do that. Cultural differences, folks. The Chinese will tell you what they think you want to hear. So if you ask them if they like mint toothpaste, they will tell you yes, because they think you want them to say yes. They may hate it. What should you do instead? Observation. Evidently, now this is, to be fair, about 15 years ago, so perhaps some things have changed, though I doubt it, you're allowed into their homes to watch them go about their daily tasks. I mean, how fascinating is that? If you did that here, I'm not sure what you'd find. I mean, I'll tell you what you'd find at my house. First of all, before you showed up, I would clean that place from top to bottom. So maybe you should arrange to do that because my house sure needs a cleaning. Uh, because I think you'd, you'd want to see my house clean, which is so funny. I would essentially do the reverse. Like I would be thinking, okay, I'm going to do these certain behaviors because you're watching me and I'm expecting that that's what you want to see, which is the reverse of what you'd see with Chinese market research. The other thing that I thought was so funny is the Chinese didn't use clothes dryers. They would have a washer in their apartments, but everywhere you looked, you'd see clothes hanging on lines at entire apartment buildings with clothes just hanging on lines on their balconies. It was fascinating to me. And I never actually found out why, now that I'm thinking of it, why that, I'm sure there was a reason, obviously. I just don't know it. I'll have to go back, right, to get that. So if you know it, don't tell me, because that's just going to ruin it. I should travel again. In China, I fell in love with the food also. I mean, my gosh, it makes our Chinese food look like McDonald's or something. So good. And I think I was just, I may have even taken food away from students. I mean, it was that good. We did have to be careful in terms of drinking water, though, because you have to use bottled water in China as the tap water is just not potable. That's good advice in several places, many places in the world. And I have other examples of that as well. And why? I'm not fond of diarrhea. Though to be fair, I've never met anyone who's like, where do I get me some of that diarrhea? That sounds like a fun time. So you want to make sure that you buy bottled water that has a seal. And what we would see is that some of these tourist attractions people would be selling, would, they would take empty bottles of water, refill them, and then sell them, refill them with, I don't know, water from who knows where. So you had to be very careful that you weren't buying those water bottles, that you made sure your water bottles had a seal on them. Now, the history in China, too, is so incredible. And not having learned anything about Chinese history, it was so nice to just absorb all of that. 
the Summer and Winter Palaces, Tiananmen Square, the Terracotta Army, the Bund, the Great Wall, all fascinating. And I could have wandered through all of them for days and eaten everywhere while I was there. I think I've established that I eat everywhere I go. And I've already said that I knew next to nothing about China and its history. So ahead of the trip, and this is what I always do, and I recommend this. You don't have to, but I am a reader, so I tend to like to do this. But certainly, you know, find yourself a documentary if that's something you'd rather have as well. Ahead of my trip, I read a couple of books to give me some insight. I highly recommend learning about Chinese history. And this book was incredible to give you some insight. 1421, The Year China Discovered America is an engaging read about the history of the Chinese sailing around the world well ahead of others. I also read about Genghis Khan, since Mongolia is not far, though we didn't visit, but Mongolia is on my bucket list. That was also eye-opening, since we have such a Western view of the world and world history, and such a Western and sort of distorted view, I would say, of who Genghis Khan was. So I encourage you to take a look at that. And I'm also thankful for the historians who quite literally dig up information about history so that I may read about it and tell you to read about it. So let's leave China, reluctantly, because it was a wonderful trip, and head to the Dark Continent, which isn't really so dark, at least not where we were. Another trip with students took me to Uganda, Africa. Now, I was terrified at first, since this trip was a solo trip with me and about five students. We had no idea what to expect, which I often really enjoy, but at the same time, I'm with students, and it turns out, little known fact perhaps, parents want their kids to return from trips like this alive and with all their parts intact. Parents, really? That's a joke. I mean, that should be an expectation. So the trip was a bit nerve-wracking, but I've been several times since. Can't wait to return. I mean, COVID obviously has tossed a monkey wrench into so many things. And a trip like this is going to change your life. It makes you really think about your place in the world and what you contribute to it. First of all, the food. That's all I will say other than I bring beef jerky and cheese and crackers with me along with some other things. I don't travel with food anywhere else in the world. That should tell you something. But to be fair, the fresh fruit in Uganda is out of this world. When I go home, I can't eat pineapple or bananas for days because it's just not the same. Also, the tea, which grows here. (sighs) And I don't drink coffee when I'm in Uganda, though they grow it. It all gets shipped to Europe or the U.S. Coffee, coffee everywhere, not a drop to drink if you're local. Tea gets shipped also, but I think because Uganda was a British colony, they get to keep their tea and drink it too. And avocados. Avocados are so expensive at home, as we know, right? I could buy all the avocados on one tree in Uganda for the price of one avocado from Mexico. I exaggerate, but not by too much. Here again, you need to drink bottled water that has the seal. And I should also add, you brush your teeth using bottled water. Anything that you would have water in your mouth, you're using bottled water. Now, I've gotten sick in Uganda several times. I just sort of expect it because our trips are a good couple weeks long and I just expect that. It's inevitable. There have only been a couple of times that I've been there and I think I've been about eight or nine times that I've not gotten sick. Generally speaking, not violently ill, although there was that one trip. We'll talk about that on a different podcast, perhaps. I, when I'm in Uganda, I do work with a nonprofit called Embrace It Africa. This is the students from that very first trip, the first and the second trip I took, couldn't leave it behind. Once you go, you won't forget it. So they wanted to continue working with uh, with the group that we started there. So they formed their own 
501c3, you can certainly take a look, embraceitafrica.org online. We have a microfinance slash credit union, a health clinic. We also work with a school slash orphanage and a women's widows group. And the women there are widows because their husbands died likely of HIV AIDS. And here you will see that women aren't given the same rights as men, though some things are changing. And a caste-like system is quite evident. I'm happy to report, though, that we don't see feminine genital mutilation as you might in some parts of Africa. So there is that. Now, at this point in the podcast, I should note, I'm not a fan of the heat. I'm cranky in the summer. I also don't really like children. So the idea that I might travel to the equator, Uganda sits on the equator, and work with an orphanage is comical to anyone who knows me. But I love it. I'm still not going to go and get myself some children or anything, and the heat still makes me cranky. But in addition to working in our small community, we do visit some of the sites in the area, including a safari. You can't go to Africa and not do a safari. I'm going to be interviewing a colleague in, the couple, in a couple weeks about ecotourism in Uganda specifically, so look for it and tune in for more. We also do visit the Palace of the King and Idi Amin's former palace and dungeon. Now, Idi Amin was a brutal dictator who tortured and killed many, including any rivals, challengers, or dissenters. When you walk into the area considered the dungeon, you have an overwhelming feeling of grief, of pain, of misery. Your chest, at least mine did, just gets so incredibly heavy. You feel that spirit. You feel that burden. You feel... Even though you're outside, the dungeon is technically, you know, outdoors, if you will. It's, you just feel heavy hearted in a way that I can't describe another way. Now, the guides will share the story of what happened. I won't hear. You need to come with me on the trip. Here's another trip. Hang on. More details about that in a second. And I do have other stories that I perhaps will share in the future on a podcast. Perhaps not. We'll see. We also do, while we're in Uganda, visit the Rwandan Genocide Memorial. And if you know your African geography, and if you're from the U.S., you likely don't, Rwanda borders Uganda. It also borders Tanzania. Not far from where we work in Uganda, there is a river that connects Rwanda, Tanzania, and Uganda and empties into Lake Victoria. For 100 days in 1994, about 500,000 Tutsis were killed by Hutus, and these are native groups in Rwanda. Hundreds of Tutsis were tossed into this river, which then washed them into Lake Victoria. People living on Lake Victoria would fish these bodies, literally fish these bodies, out of the water by the hundreds each morning, drive them up a hill, and bury them in mass graves. This became the Rwandan Genocide Memorial. There are several mass graves with between an estimated 100 to 500 people in each. Being here is, first of all, it's gorgeous, the setting, because you're on a hill overlooking Lake Victoria, but then you really feel the heaviness of that as well. And you really hear the stories of the folks who are, who are sharing this information. And it makes you really thankful where you are, where you are in the world. But it also makes you want to share these stories so other people understand them as well. I would like to start another conflict trip here in Rwanda or Uganda so that we may, he we may hear both sides of this story. Now, as in Ireland, you may easily tell the difference between Tutsis and Hutus. In this case, though, the differences are physical. Tutsis are tall and thin, Hutus not, generally speaking. Also, the type of houses they live in varies. If you take a look at houses in general in Uganda, you will see that they're squarish, adobe-like homes with tin roofs for the most part. 
Tutsis tend to live in round, thatched-roofed houses. And how do I know this? Again, talk to people, be open, listen, learn, ask questions, be curious. Let's talk safari. I never tire of seeing the animals. I've been on safaris, several safaris, and I think the most fun for me is seeing the reactions of those I'm with. When a student sees an elephant for the first time, it's incredible because you're not in a zoo. These are out wandering about in their natural habitats. When we see hippos, monkeys, zebras, giraffes, I don't get tired of it. Some lessons we also learn, learn along the way. On my last trip, we were on a boat, saw all manner of animals, water buffaloes, crocodiles, hippos, and elephants. And there was an elephant in the water all alone. And he was walking up, he was coming out of the water, and it looked like he had an extra leg in the back. But it turns out he was very excited to be there. I think we know where I'm headed with this. So he slaps his penis against the water, which was what this, which is what the back leg well was. So evidently, though, this is a signal to all the single ladies that he's ready to mate. Now, this poor elephant must have been a loser because no one came running. So slap away, baby, but you're not getting the ladies, it turns out. I also have a Ugandan name. In Uganda, people belong to clans, which is not unlike the family structure here. Your clan is generally an animal or plant. You do not eat your clan. So each clan has certain characteristics also. The first year I was in Uganda, our hosts allowed us to choose an animal or plant to represent our clan. And not all animals and plants are represented. I mean, they do need to be indigenous to Uganda. Now our hosts choose for any newcomers, which always makes for a wonderful, you know, meal. Because we usually do it around one of the last nights that we're there. And, uh, you know, the students get excited about this. So students have chosen lions, elephants, even mushrooms, one of my colleagues. And I couldn't decide until we were on the safari and I saw these large animals. Remember, we're on the equator, so it's hotter than hell. So I see these large animals sitting under a tree in the shade and they're eating. And I said, those are my people. These large, lazy animals sitting in the shade, avoiding the heat and eating? Yes. Yes, please. Turns out they were water buffaloes. So my Uganda name is Numbago, which is water buffalo. Turns out water buffaloes are more feared than lions, believe it or not. They can do more damage, but they're also incredibly loyal and protective of their families. So it turns out I chose wisely and well. Let's leave the Dark Continent and head to Central America next, Costa Rica. I went here with a colleague who is now a very good and dear friend. She fell in love with Costa Rica a number of years ago when she came to teach English. She plans to retire here if she can't get here sooner. Now, our trip was intended as a fact-finding trip. We connected with Earth University to see if we couldn't partner to offer a study abroad opportunity for students. And aside... How many of my seminal trips involved students in education? Are you sensing a theme? We started on the Caribbean side near San Jose. We then drove across the country and stayed in the Guanacaste district on the Pacific. I woke to the sounds of monkeys in the east and roosters in the west. Another interesting dichotomy. Now, Costa Rica is ridiculously popular as a tourist destination. I didn't do anything touristy, and I am so thankful for that. I did eat my way through ceviche and gallo pinto and drank enough mojitos to sail a ship, but I digress. My friend asked if I wanted to stay in this very small seaside hotel that was quaint as all quaint. It was also crazy inexpensive. There was one water temperature in the shower, which suited me just fine. If I thought Uganda was hot and humid, Costa Rica is a damn sauna. 
I am quite sure my nipples melted off my boobs and slid into my belly button. But I would return there in a heartbeat. This small hotel was the perfect place to people watch. You could see the locals working in the hotel, going about their business in the streets and small shops. You could see the cast of characters that came by each day. One gentleman in particular would get dropped off each morning by car. I never saw the driver because of the tinted windows. He wore this velvety burgundy colored robe and slippers. He'd come in, eat breakfast, smiling the entire time. Then he'd get picked up again and taken to I don't know where. This happened the entirety of my stay and I dubbed him Rico Suave. I made up stories about him in my head because he was just such an interesting guy. Now, when I got to the airport to leave, that was culture shock for me. I was there with all the people who'd stayed at the resorts, and there was me, fresh off my local stay. I felt more out of place there at the airport with the tourists heading back to the U.S. than I ever did eating gallo pinto with Rico Suave. So let's go home now. I've done many, many road trips in the U.S. and Canada and would do them all again. We live in an amazing place with so many sites. My preference is for national parks, and I've done a couple of podcasts related to them. I won't say much more except to say we need to be incredibly respectful of where we are. This land is not ours. We are merely caretakers. We are also absconders since we took the land from those who were here before us. Any trip in the U.S. and Canada may highlight that quite clearly. There are so many different and rich cultures and histories here. I don't think you could explore them all in a lifetime, but I'm sure making it my business to try. I do want to highlight two specific trips I took in the U.S. and Canada, and their week-long bicycle trips. After I finished my master's degree, I decided to reward myself with a bike trip in Nova Scotia. We arrived in Halifax, and over the course of a week, biked down the coasts to just south of Lunenburg. We ate our way through the most delicious seafood and baked goods. It was on this trip that I was introduced to the Rails to Trails program. I've been a member ever since and often look for rail trails when I travel. Now, these are retired rail lines that have been converted into multi-use trails. So you may bike, hike, walk, run, sometimes ride horses, cross-country ski, snowmobile. It really depends. But they're off limits to vehicular traffic. Now, I did a similar trip about a decade ago on the Erie Canal Trail in New York State. You start in Buffalo, New York, end in Albany, New York, and you ride your bike mostly on the Erie Canal Trail. This is another multi-use trail that runs right along the Erie Canal. In both cases, it was wonderful to learn the history of the area with stops in small towns. I'm planning my next, next bike trip in my head, perhaps the Great Allegheny Passage, which runs from Pittsburgh to D.C., and one day I'd like to actually bike across the U.S., so I better start getting in shape for that. I also do like visiting cities, though I don't really talk about cities that often. My favorite cities include San Diego, New Orleans, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Portland, Oregon, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, to name just a couple. I like to learn the history. If there's a museum, I'm there. I also like to eat. So much of travel is defined by what we eat and drink, or at least it is for me. And I like to cook, so I like when I'm traveling to find out what are some of the delicacies and how can I cook them when I get home. I've described several places I've visited and why. There are many others, and perhaps I'll include those in a separate podcast, but why do we do this? Travel is about more than suntans and fancy drinks with umbrellas. It's about asking questions, getting outside your comfort zone, learning about different cultures, experiencing things as locals would. Are there places everywhere I've gone that cater to tourists? Sure. Do I stay there? Not often. I prefer to stay in more rugged settings because that's what the locals would have to do. 
I want to be in the center of that, not the center of some man-made, culturally appropriated nonsense. And as an educator, I want students or anyone with whom I travel to experience those same things. There are so many places to see, people to meet, cultures to know and understand. Travel with an open mind, heart, and soul, as I said at the beginning of this podcast. Each of us has a travel story, or I hope we do. And as I've said, that story may be just of you visiting your next town. For my 3 million listeners, we have 3 million travel stories, I'm sure, plus or minus 2.99 million. Let me talk a bit about how I research travel, since this is a podcast about data and research is one of my pillars. Some of the places I've been, I've done no research. I just jump in the car and go and see where I end up. Others, I've gone online to read reviews, find tips and tricks from people, reach out to friends who've been a particular place. Sometimes I'll get a travel brochure with info about different trips and I'll jump on those. Some of my trips have been quite serendipitous in that someone came to me and said, hey, want to go? China, Ireland, Uganda, Costa Rica. Those are my favorites because I'm working with locals or people who know locals. I cannot stress that enough. Don't just do what the concierge tells you, though that person is knowledgeable. And if you're staying at a hotel with a concierge, you're not local enough. Also, be careful of people you know absolutely nothing about. You want to be a smart traveler. Don't take advice from just anybody. Just as you wouldn't just take advice from anybody about other issues you might research. As I was thinking about being a smart traveler, it occurred to me that people often make travel mistakes. On an expensive or international trip, I will always buy travel insurance. And if I'm overseas, I register with the U.S. State Department to be safe. I went to a travel insurance website to find out what the most common travel mistakes are and how to avoid them. So the following 10 are from visitorscoverage.com. So number one, failing to check your passport dates. Most countries require that you have your passport, your passport doesn't expire more than six months after your return. No surprise that visitors coverage says that you forgetting to buy travel insurance is, you know, a mistake that people make. But honestly, I think it's very good advice. And interestingly, when I was looking at some other sites to get information that weren't travel insurance related, they recommend this as well. Better safe than sorry. Travel can be expensive. Booking tight connections. Now, when I'm booking travel, I usually use my preferred airline and I will see the connection recommendations that they make. And I think, really, you think I'm going to get off this big ass plane and get down, you know, to this other gate in 10 minutes? I mean, that's ridiculous. Although I do have to say, if they're recommending it, maybe it is possible, but pay attention to things like that. Packing the wrong stuff or packing too damn much. When I first started traveling, I packed, I think, my whole damn closet. Now, I could probably go away for two weeks with my carry-on because you realize you don't need so many things and you can really, you know, put your outfits together and pack more, you know, judiciously. So think about that. If you have prescription meds, make sure that you have enough. Now, something else that I will say as well, if you're traveling places where they might have tropical diseases, like when I went to China, when I went to Uganda... I think I had every shot under the sun. So I'm vaccinated against yellow fever, typhoid. Um, I get a tetanus shot every 10 years as recommended. And I also take anti-malarial drugs with me when I go to Uganda. Forgetting travel adapters. Guess what? Not every country has the same outlets, electrical outlets. So you want to make sure that you get the travel adapters that you're going to need. Now, take precautions against theft. 
Now, don't forget, and I'm not sure, I think things have changed maybe in the last couple of years, although I still get into the habit of doing this. Call your bank or check in with your credit card company to make sure that they know you're traveling so they don't think that it's someone taking your card. Also, think about whether or not you can use credit cards. There are still places when we go to Uganda that if I don't have cash, I mean, no one's using, you don't use a credit card in many places. So you need to really be mindful of that too. And think also about changing currency. Don't necessarily do it at some of these kiosks that are incredibly convenient, unless you just want to pay a little bit more. I generally wait and I will go to a bank or to an official kiosk somewhere in uh, the city uh, where I'm staying or in the in the town where I'm staying. Now, some I looked at another site as well, Go World Travel, because I thought, all right, let me look at a non-travel insurance site. And they listed, believe it or not, pretty much the same things that I just read off with two exceptions. They added this. One mistake people make is not interacting with the locals, which I've been singing from the rooftops throughout this podcast, and also not trying the local cuisine. I mean, I've eaten a grasshopper in Uganda. I didn't like it so much, so I don't eat any more of them, but you should try things like this. Now, before I end the podcast, let me tell you where I'm headed next. I just got myself scuba diving international certified so that I may dive with the great white sharks. That trip is at the end of August. So if you don't hear any podcasts past September, it might be because I became shark chum. To be clear, I'm going to be in a cage, not in the open water, fending off jaws. So you should still hear from me. If I make it back, I will then be diving in the Bahamas in the fall. I've been told that's the perfect beginner dive trip. So this week's arbitrary random stat, we're winding down. The arbitrary random stat, or ARS, deals with travel. Big surprise. The very first commercial plane, don't ask me why I was thinking these things. The very first commercial plane took off from St. Petersburg, Florida in 1914 en route to Tampa, which was just 17 miles away. And I got that information from space.com. The first commercial ship built specifically for cruising was in Germany, the Princessin Victoria Luisi in 1900, and it traveled the West Indies and Venezuela, and it was a trip that lasted 35 days. So thank you to everyone for listening. The show music is by Bryce Murphy, logo designed by Liam McGurl. For more information and to access the data and other information discussed on this week's episode, visit datajoyen.com. If you like this podcast, tell all your nerdy friends and be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review. Podcasts drop on Mondays. Please also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Be sure to go to my website to sign up for my newsletter. Also, tell me your travel story. Which trip was most memorable for you? Why? Share your advice and your travel bucket list. Cheers and happy travels. <laughs>